Would you bow your heads with me in prayer as we open up the word of God together? Our God today, we've come from all different places and all different things this week, but here we are, your people. Holy Spirit, would you allow us space right now in our minds and hearts to hear from you? Holy Spirit, thank you so much for the same power that hovered over the waters and the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's a thought our minds can't even hardly wrap around, but yet it is true. And so please, in this space, would you speak and move among us? In Jesus' name, amen. We are journeying through the book of Philippians together, and if this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is going to be in the midst of a series you can catch up on the other ones. But Philippians was Paul's letter to the church in Philippi as he was on house arrest. So he's not sitting on some beach in luxury saying, oh, here's these words. Live out this way as he's doing this from a place of comfort and peace. But instead, he sent this letter from a place where he was confined, a place where he was experiencing physical discomfort, a place where he was mentally in anguish. And he wrote this letter, and it was read in community. We need each other. In case you forgot, this Christianity thing, this following the way of Jesus is not a solo sport. This is not something to do in isolation. This church was gathered together, and they would have heard this letter out loud. There's the place for saying, this is what God is speaking to me. But there is also this, as we see today, place for understanding that this was said in the context of community. And so these words today hit particularly when we remember that, that the young and the old, the wealthy and the poor, those with influence and those without, all different nationalities, gender, were all present as they heard the reading of this word. Philippians chapter two. Turn with me to Philippians chapter two and verse 12. Paul again expressing his heart to the people. Therefore, now, whenever there's the word therefore, it's saying in light of all that I've just said before, you've made your argument, you've said your case, this and this and this, therefore would be your closing statement. What has he just said? Jesus, he's just talked about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he poured out himself. He lived in obedience, even to death for us. Therefore, because of what Jesus has done, therefore, because of the perfect example of obedience and love of Jesus, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some of you have some baggage with this verse, I think, perhaps. Some still say to me, wow, I remember that verse. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. We're going to get into this in a moment. For it is God who works in you. Not even a, Paul doesn't even provide a sentence break there. This is all one, one thought, one statement. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, 
children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. These words immediately shock us that they come from Paul, right? Paul, the guy that wrote Romans, right? Paul, the guy who said grace wouldn't be grace if we're working for it. Have you read Romans 11:6 recently? Grace is freely given. Paul says it all throughout. So what is he saying here? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, for Paul, there's two words that he uses often in his writings, and he uses justified and saved, and he uses them differently. He says, you have been justified, therefore, and he uses the word salvation to be something that is present or future. Justified is in the past, but salvation is something that is worked out in the present or in the future. Turn with me to Romans for one example of this. Acts, Romans, Romans chapter five, verse nine for just a moment. We have to flash back and understand a little bit of Paul for a moment. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The saved is present, future, but justified is something that Christ did that was definitive, a point in time that was done in the past. So he's not saying to them, work out so that you can be justified in Christ. You can't work to get justified, you already are. But he's saying that salvation, this reality of what it looks like to follow after Jesus, is something that is ongoing in the present and carries over into the future. One more thing that is really important here is the word you is plural. You all work out your salvation. Remember the context was how we treat each other with humility and love and grace just like Jesus Christ treated us? And he's saying, you all should have this reverence when you're relating to each other in working out what it looks like to be saved people. Whoa, so we are justified. Salvation is not what we're talking about here. You're not working to earn God's favor, but how you live matters. There's a saying in screenwriting that, if, that a character is always known by their actions, right? That characters, you, you only know and recognize what they are and their character and who they are by their actions on the screen. Well, the same is true in our lives. That he's saying you live in this certain way, Philippians chapter one, verse 27, you live in this way because Jesus is in your life, because you have already been justified. So because of that reality of what Christ has already done for you, you now together as a community work out your salvation. There is this pit that we can fall into on either side. We either think we have to do it all, that it's our works that save us, or we think there's nothing we need to do, no action required, God just wants to have us as we are. And the truth is that God desires to 
partner with us, to be in us, that not in the salvation act, Paul would say that was just complete blasphemy. We can't even be a part of that. Grace has justified us. We don't have any part in that work of redemption of Christ but we must choose to be open to the power of God that would then pour over into our lives. God works in us, Paul says in the second part of this sentence, both to will and to do God's good pleasure. In case you thought you could have some part in it, he says, even the will to do good comes from God. Even the desire for you, someone said, well, what if this desire is coming from someone other than God? Well, I said, is it is a desire to do good things? The enemy's never gonna give you a desire to love someone else. Just public service announcement, the enemy will never say, why don't you give money to that person? Or the enemy will never give you, why don't you forgive that person? Or the enemy will never say, why don't you just persevere in this? It's from God. This desire, this God-originated longing to do something different in your life. This is what distinguishes Christianity from other faiths, friends. God doesn't just tell you, here's the right way to live. God says, I'm gonna give you the power to do it. I'm going to work in you to do it. You can rely on God's strength, and not only can we not do it on our own, not only can we not have to do it on our own, we actually can't do it on our own. These references that Paul makes in Philippians chapter two are ones that some in the crowd would have understood immediately because he's drawing on some allusions from the Old Testament. In, in Exodus chapter 16 and Numbers chapter 14, you can write those down for later, these are the stories of the grumbling people of God. So when he uses this word grumbling, it had this rich meaning that some of them would have thought back to immediately. And in Genesis 17, this blameless and pure generation, these all have allusions to the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 32, the warped generation, the warped and twisted generation is a reference from there. In Daniel chapter 12, this allusion to shining like stars In Isaiah chapter 65, this running and laboring with God, each of these parts Paul is drawing together in this bigger story that he's pointing to. This bigger story is this theme that remains central to the story of Christians today. Is this story that God led the people from slavery into freedom. This story of the exodus that God came to set his people free from literal bondage. And when he got them to the desert, when he got them through all of the many, many obstacles that they had to get through, they grumbled against God. The people Israel whom God had just led through the Red Sea started complaining. Have you ever done that? Like God just gets you through something amazing and then you're like catching yourself complaining about something else. You're like, wait, did I forget? When Paul says do everything without grumbling or arguing, he says don't be like the Israelites who were led out of slavery. The rabbis tell this story about two men that were walking through and there's a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right, but their eyes are both looking down. And one says to the other, this mud is sure getting in my sandals. And the other one says, mine too, as they both keep their eyes down. 
And it's the picture of humanity, right? A wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right parted open for our deliverance and we're looking down, there's some mud in my sandals. And God is like, would you lift your eyes and see, I'm doing something for you right now. Even after the amazing liberation of God, even after the sea parted so they could be saved, the people of God are grumbling. Perhaps it would help us if we would just sometimes live life through the eyes of a dog eager to go out on a walk. If you've seen a dog that's just ready to go, savoring the walk, not just interested in the destination, but everything that they're looking around at. Now, our dog is a little bit different than that. Our dog could take a walk, I think, in the time that one dog could take in 10 minutes. Our dog would take an hour because he's just sniffing. He's just slow. But then Donna Underwood at Finance Committee, if we could show this cute little picture maybe in a moment. Donna and Todd have a cat that they're leash training. And this is their little Zeus. And she said, I think Toby's better than Zeus at that because <laughs> Zeus stops at everything. Cats have an even slower, slower pacing, less interest in the destination, but so much fascination with the, with the journey, with the journey that we're taking. So I think God is saying be as interested in the journey as in where I'm leading you to. Look up, look around. I think the grumbling comes when we forget to be those who live in awe, when we forget to live with wonder, when we forget the spiritual discipline of astonishment. We can then become those who are grumbling because suddenly we're not, it's not a miracle all around us. Suddenly it's not, oh wow, look at this all around. It's just grumbling. And that's what the people of God found themselves doing. Paul references them as the wicked and crooked generation from Deuteronomy 32. Here it says that even God's children have missed the point. Even God's children have lost the plot. They aren't paying attention to the miracle. God says the people that I led out of sin are not remembering what I just did for them. And so like the two men walking through walls of water, missing the miracle because of the mud in their sandals, could it be us sitting in traffic, missing the gift of life in our lungs? Could it be us rushing towards bedtime when you've got little hands reaching to hold yours? Could it be us who just want this whatever it is to be through and over and on to the next season? Like, Paul, he says to the Philippians, you are God's children. And Paul says, God says that to us through Paul today. You are God's children. Don't be like those who grumbled against me. He's saying this, how the story went before isn't how the story has to go now. I know what you've been handed. I know what your parents gave you. I know what the people of Israel were like and I know what you could be like too. But the way the story went is not the way the story has to go. That's what God says to you and to me right now too. Whatever you've been gifted, the good, the bad, that's not your final word on your life. He says they were grumblers. They forgot. They lost the miracle. They forgot what God is doing. But the truth is it can be different, Paul says, for you. Each generation is invited to work out their salvation 
with each other in community as they look towards the return of Jesus. Just because God's people in the past grumbled against the Lord and the whole generation perished in the wilderness does not mean that has to be how you react and respond right now. Paul says, the mighty walls of water are held back for your deliverance. Just like those who went through the Exodus, you are being set free. God is giving you this amazing love in Christ that he poured out everything for you, humbled in his death, opening the way for you. Don't miss it. How do you shine? The text says we don't grumble or complain or argue is really the word. It's a word that means disputatious reasonings. When we're grumbling against each other, it means we have lost the big picture. We've lost the narrative. And when, Paul says, people notice that you're not grumbling or arguing, people will want to know more. You will start shining like stars in this generation. People will be saying, tell me more because I want to know what you're doing. And Paul uses two metaphors here, work and sports, running and labor, which he uses all throughout his letters. For Paul, the Christian journey is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's continuous labor. You can't go back to where you were because you're moving on the journey ahead. Some of us get to pining about when we first met Christ or when we were on fire for Jesus or when our love relationship looked different. We've romanticized views of the past sometimes, but relationship with God, with ourselves and with others, our relationship to life even, is not always going to be the same. It's not always going to feel new and special, but it can feel old and special. It can be something that is unfolding as you keep moving forward. He says it's this journey. Keep running, keep laboring, keep moving forward, holding firmly to the word of life. I love marriage. I've been thinking about this for a while because uh, next week is our 19th year of marriage. And marriage now is not the same as it was the first year we got married. Some of you are like, we've been married 40 years, 45 years. You've got way more years on us than us. But as you keep in relationship, you keep discovering new joys. New joys in relationship with each other and new joys in relationship with the Lord. Imagine today if we practice the spiritual discipline of wonder and awe with each other and with God. What would it look like if we started to not look backwards to the past, but look at the present, the spiritual discipline of wonder in this very moment? In a marathon, which is the illusion Paul makes, sometimes you're surrounded by a cheering crowd, and sometimes you're sweating up a hill all by yourself wishing for a water station. It doesn't look the same at every point. I only know this because Nanette inspired me by all of her, all of her many, many runs, and so I actually have run a few now. But they look different at each point. Each part of the game looks differently. Each part of the labor looks differently. And as we seek, these, seek God, we get these invitations to appreciate exactly where we find ourselves right now. That feeling when you push through, when you make it through, when you keep going is priceless. When you push through the miscommunication with someone, when you push through the dry and arid season when you don't feel like God is close to you, when you push through a lack of desire to serve and show up finding yourself blessed beyond words, when you push 
through not feeling like you want to do anything with other people, and yet you show up. Like a marathon, life is doing the right thing, but it can sometimes hurt so good, just like running. You can keep going and pressing through, and Paul says, I'm continuing to move forward because I'm trusting what God is doing with this. Even if I'm being poured out for you, Paul says, even if it costs so much, I'm a drink offering for you. Even if I die under house arrest, he says, if you end up shining like stars, if you end up living out a different story than the people of God in a generation before, it will all be worth it. If you end up with being amazed and in awe at what Christ is doing among you, instead of doing what the people of the other generations did, this sacrifice will be worth it. Don Keel Jr. says, we like to say that we are God followers, but for many of us, it is only true as long as it doesn't cut across anything we want to do. True obedience follows even when it means sacrificing something else that we want to do. That's because God has always been more about our holiness than our happiness. The only way God can work holiness into us is if we truly commit to following wherever God leads. Paul says, I've come to peace with the fact that this is where God has led me. I've come to peace with that. And so whatever the sacrifice on this marathon or in this labor, whatever it is, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Why I love the Bible so much is that it's a story that is imperfect. It's a really messy human story. Let's be honest. These stories are messy. The people that don't believe, the people that mess up again and again, real stories of failures. They didn't understand God. They kept getting it wrong. Have you read it recently? The Bible really is a lot of stories of human failure. I'm not going to exactly say it right, but there is this Japanese art of repairing broken pottery. It's called the golden journey, and I love that they use this name, that we like to cover up the cracks and any mistakes. We like to fix it. But when there's a crack, what they actually do is apply gold leaf to it, and they apply lacquer, and it highlights the crack with gold. In other words, they feature the cracks that come instead of actually trying to cover them, and that it adds value and uniqueness and character to the piece. Perhaps we've gotten it wrong because we think, oh, I'm not going to be like the other generation. I want to shine. I want to shine like stars this time. But perhaps the shining, because the shining I see in most of the scriptures, is shining through brokenness. That when God comes along and places gold pieces and lacquer, and then in those very places that we would want to hide, in those very places that we want to cover up, we end up shining because the light of the glory of the grace of God is evident and visible in our lives. So Paul says to us, the way it always was is not the way it has to be now. I'm calling you to something more. I'm calling you to live a different kind of life as you work out your salvation with each other in community. But then with the shining like stars, I think the most brilliant place God can shine in our lives is in the places of vulnerability and brokenness that we are willing to allow God to shine through. Your brokenness ends up showcasing the glory of God. 
Paul says, I'm running, I'm laboring, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And in those very places he was broken, he ended up shining. And we look at his example today and it's a beautiful witness. So may God apply that gold to us to see the cracks of our story as the redemption of God, that Jesus is able to shine in our lives in a beautiful way together as we work out our salvation.